Welcome to the JLA cast, uh, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. I'm John. And I'm PJ. And uh, by additional introductions, uh, one day we'll, we'll get this absolutely perfect. Uh, but yeah, I am a, my name is John. I am a writer and I'm the creator of a comic called Afterlife Inc which you may have heard of hopefully you have and I'm also one of the team at Big Punch Studios uh, and I'm PJ Montgomery I'm the writer of The Trolltooth Wars the graphic novel adaptation of the original fighting fantasy novel which you have or haven't heard of I don't really care <laughs> PJ's very much the um the devil may care uh kind of young rebellious member of the team I'm older than you but yes, <laughs> young at heart, young at heart, PJ. I'm, I'm. I, I don't want to say wise beyond my years. I'm, I'm certainly like more weathered beyond my years. I, I think. I think uh, time has not been kind to my once youth, youthful features. Whereas I, um, I think I'm old enough that I'm cycling back. I'm having a midlife crisis and trying to recapture lost youth. Now that's. Uh... Oh, so, to be fair though, this is weird. Like, because people used to talk about getting kind of like the quarter life crisis so apparently like you know your mid-teens were not your mid-teens your mid-twenties apparently it was the the new time for kind of like just losing your mind a little bit and so we're safely you know we're well beyond that yes. like arguably we're at the top of a bell-shaped curve which will now crash kind of well, i don't know what is it like 40s 50s that sort of time yeah i'm not far off that 40s yeah I'm, honest. I'm, I'm really far off 50s that's <laughs> oh yeah, no, 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 PJ, don't you know? Don't put yourself too far down. You know, you, you, there's, a, there's a lot of life left in you yet. Well, I hope so. Speaking of um, life and and whatnot, how are you faring? I, I think um, I, uh, we would be remiss not to mention the fact that these are exceptional times that we find ourselves recording in. Yes, we are recording in the middle of uh, the lockdown that the government have put in place because of the COVID nineteen coronavirus, whatever you want to call it. Um, well, to be fair, like, you know, when future generations listen back to it, maybe this will be the Great Awakening or something like that. You know, they'll be watching this on a holographic projector in a future museum. A future museum about the JLA. Uh, <laughs> and we're a footnote. I was going to say, specifically about the grand things that happened in 2020. I mean, we and, are that. Yeah, there will be, you know, the coronavirus... I'm sure something else happened in 2020, which I have successfully blocked out of my mind because, oh my God. <laughs> uh, and uh, and we launched this podcast. So, I mean, something good came out of it. Yes, exactly. And I feel like podcasts are one of the few mediums that you can actually still make at the moment. Films have all shut down. TV shows have all shut down. You know, podcast, record remotely, you're fine. But there's never been a better time to be stuck in a bedroom and to have an opinion, which you're going to force upon the world. Like, you know... We are we are the apex predator here, PJ. Like it's never, you know, the the stage is set for us to finally, finally the uh, 
<laughs> Finally, the opinionated middle-aged man can have his moment. <laughs> I'll have you know I'm in my living room, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, except the hypothetical bedroom. I guess <laughs> the the entire house is is probably just becoming a bedroom at this point. Like the amount of places I just wear pajamas now. Yeah, that's fair. Because society can no longer judge me. Nor um, should it. <laughs> but um, maybe while you're stuck at home, this is me segueing. Oh, well done. Maybe while, Very good. Maybe while you're stuck at home, dear listener, you, uh, you're catching up on some reading. And maybe you're catching up on issue two of JLA. That was seamless, John. Well done. Thank you. It's like, it's like you barely even, you know, you barely even noticed. Uh, um, but yes, this is issue two of JLA, published, I believe, in February 1997, uh, and entitled The Day the Earth Stood Still. That sounds familiar. It does. Uh, It's not really a title, I would say, that has any thematic... Not at all. (laughs) ...connection or meaning to the issue we're about to read, other than Morrison clearly just really wanted to name this first arc after classic... B movies. You know, you know what? I think you can make a connection there. Um, ignoring the terrible remake of the film that was out what ten years ago now with Keanu Reeves, that was awful. Oh, let's be honest, PJ. It was probably like twenty years ago. Oh, like we God, are, yeah. we're so old. We yeah. are. But the the original, the day the Earth stood still, justifiable classic movie. It's absolutely brilliant. But it is about an alien that comes to Earth to try and save us, and that is the. Uh, apparent reason given by the aliens that come to Earth in this storyline. They want to come down and save the Earth. Was it... Was it... He said getting off on a tangent. Was it Klaatu? Klaatu. the name of... Yeah. Klaatu, yeah, yeah. The name of the super robot. Yeah, Klaatu, Barad and Nikto. Which I mostly know from Return of the Jedi because George Lucas named one character Klaatu, one character Barada and one character Nikto. You know, PJ, it's funny how you can remember the names of those characters, and yet, what is the name? Oh, of the member, God, of here the we go. Me- of the member of the Hyper Clan who can, she can blast energy out of her eyes and hands. Is that Prime Maiden? Or is that the no, other one? That's the other no. one. Yeah, and her name is? Um, ooh, Old Laser Eyes. You're... PJ got it in one. Yes, it's old laser eyes, and we're going to be seeing a lot of her in this in this episode. Um, should we uh, should we get right into the recap? Let's do it. Okay, um, PJ, would you like to do the honors? Uh, well, in issue one, some aliens appeared, uh, claiming to be a group of new heroes called the Hyper Clan. They all had powers. Um, seemed to be fairly comparable to Superman. They varied in some, some. One was particularly super speedy. There was super strength. I think there's a shapeshifter in there, energy blasts. But they're all pretty strong. They come down claiming to want to save the Earth. Uh, they do some flashy show-off things to basically get the human race on their side. Superman's a bit sceptical. And then the Hyper Clan destroys the JLA satellite and almost kills several members of the Justice League. Um, but all, but only only the kind of like uh, oh the Z list ones members, yeah, like, yeah. yeah the Z list yeah <laughs> the ones that no one really would have minded yeah exactly um, and uh, at the very end of the issue Batman appears he and Superman work out the the hyper clan might be mind controlling the Earth and they decide it's time for the JLA to strike back yes uh, specifically uh, possibly mind controlling people using microwaves yes. Uh, on the 7 hertz frequency, which apparently is the frequency at which the human brain operates. Now, 
I was thinking about that since our last episode, and I I haven't done the legwork or any eff- made any effort at all to actually go and research that. That strikes me as the thing where if Grant Morrison says it to me, I'm gonna believe it. But I don't actually have any evidence to suggest that that is true at all. I have a friend who is a scientist, an actual okay. proper scientist. He's a doctor. He's got a doctorate and everything. And I will check with him. Groovy, please, yes. I, I, and then, and then that will be the metric by which we decide whether this series is any good or not. Whether that fact is true. Don't so ruin a lot this for on me. <laughs> No, it could be the best storytelling in the world, but if it's not scientifically accurate, I do not care. Yeah, sure. Scientifically accurate with the Kryptonian who gets powers under a yellow sun and a speed force and a ring of green plasma that makes anything you think of. But we're worried about the seven megahertz bit. PJ, why why, why, why you got to be like this? Like, (laughs) you're killing me. Um, Okay, but, but should we dive into issue two? Let's do it. He said, okay. Now, we open with a bunch of reporters in the Antarctic. And they are standing uh, beside a mighty golden tower structure of incredible design, which we did see in the previous issue. Uh, This is, according to the Hyper Clan themselves, this is... Uh, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm trying to remember the Martian pronunci- pronunciation here, but Zhongzor or Zongzor, something like that. Yeah, Zongzor, Zhong Zhongs, Zongzor. Um, anyway, it's a it's a crazy big tower. It's a poking out of the ice. Now I um decided to go back and have a look at issue one after I read this page, and because it doesn't quite look the same and as i remembered it when they were excavating it so i wondered is this a different edifice uh in the antarctic it's not because it's clearly got the very same top but actually if you flip back a couple of pages in the trade collection it does look a little different you're right i'm doing that right now um now there are are possibly you know many explanations for this uh pj um one explanation may be that this ancient uh, citadel has some kind of incredible uh, shape-shifting or mechanical capabilities. Yep. Maybe after they dug it up, it um, uh, you know it changed shape. Uh, or another explanation may be, uh, maybe Howard Porter decided it was actually really hard to draw <laughs> and he wanted to change the design a little bit. I mean, either one makes sense. I did, but, you know, scientifically accurate, PJ. I mean, what's more probable? It's a shape-shifting tower. Thank you. Thank Sorry. you. Ugh. Please. <laughs> um, okay, so um, all these uh, reporters, uh, you know, there's, there's helicopters. Um, as we discussed and learned in the last issue, um, the Hyper Clan, they're very good at PR. Like, apparently very good at interstellar travel, but also very good at uh, just public relations and writing a good press release, that sort of thing. I mean, the mind control helps. Uh, yes. I mean, alleged... <laughs> mind control i mean are you calling batman a liar i'm saying this might be fake news (laughs) you know uh everyone's got an agenda pj i'm just saying we should keep our options open um but yes and there is a reporter uh, addressing the camera saying how uh he is here reporting from the coldest place he's ever been 
Although I have to say, a lot of the reporters are dressed fairly casually yeah. for being in the Antarctic. But you know, good good for them. And they um, they don't eat, their breath doesn't seem to be freezing either. Well, you know, thing thing is, PJ. You know what you have to understand actually is I'm just going to explain this to you now. Uh, is uh, comics are all about moments, you know, like uh, they're kind of like static images. And what I'm saying is, in this precise moment, nobody was breathing out. Oh, okay. I mean, that's a lot of people. They were all breathing if, in at the same time. Wow. Well, exactly. Yeah. If we could see, if we could see the panels that the artist isn't drawing, you know, it's it's a little known fact that between every two panels in any comic ever, there's a missing panel of everyone just going. <gasps> <laughs> So, you know, so they can speak in between panels. That's how it works. Um, and then the editor goes through and removes all those breathing panels. Like in, like a, you know, like you, you know, edit a film. And, and that's how that's how comics are made. My artists have never done that on any of the books I've written. Well, you know, you, you, were trained, you were trained in a very avant-garde <laughs> approach <laughs> to, uh, to comic making. Um, but yeah, so um, this reporter, very handily gives us a little um, uh, kind of like summing up everything, talking to the camera. So yeah, uh, they're there in the Antarctic by this mighty tower, which is the global headquarters of the Hyper Clan, uh, casually brings the reader up to speed uh, and basically says that Protex, the leader, has promised another fantastic display today and the world, the world's reporters have gathered to see it. At three different locations, including this Antarctic one. Mm-hmm. And PJ, uh, would you like to pick up the narrative? We cut then to uh, a ship in the Pacific Ocean, not far from Midway Island, we're told, and nothing's happening there. Uh, so <laughs> there is a reporter on the ship, but then she just goes, yeah, there's, there's nothing happening here. So she passes to another reporter who is in the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. And I'm very glad they did that because... If they'd said the Sahara Desert, that would be a massive continuity issue. I know, it is kind of weird. Like, uh, I, I can kind of imagine that they wanted some different environments. Like, we've got, like, a snow... Yeah. It's like, you know, your Sonic the Hedgehog levels. You've got a snow level, <laughs> a water level, a desert level. Um, but, like, oh, crap, we've already done desert. Yeah. You know, we've got to, we've got to pick a different one. Um, PJ, what do you know about Midway Island, just in the real world? Oh, well, Battle of Midway. I, okay, that's already more than I knew. Ah, oh, there we go. Well, yeah, there's uh, the famous World War II battle. There was um, a very famous film shot at the time, which sort of shows the battle and the toll it's had. Um, well worth watching. A follow-up recommendation to that is the documentary series Five Came Back, which tells of five different directors who were out in World War II filming different things, and one of them, I cannot remember which one. It might have been Kafka, but don't quote me on that who um, he shot the Battle of Midway, and then they came back and all made films that in one way or another were about their experiences in World War II. Brilliant documentary. Check it out. It was on Netflix last I checked, but that is Midway Island. Bloody hell, PJ. Like, I was not... Like, you, you teach me so much. Like, in every... <laughs> I, I genuinely... And I, I was going to say a fact, which I think now is probably completely inaccurate. I was going to say... I thought Midway Island was... Um, Maybe it's a similar sounding place, but is there not that point in the Pacific Ocean where there is an island, which apparently is the closest point to being the furthest from any other place on the planet? I know that sounds really stupid, like it's the most isolated place 
in the world? Or am I thinking of something else? Um, I mean, it's it's technically in the United States, Midway Island. It's it's um, apparently technically an atoll as well. Um, I'm actually trying to find on a map where it is so I can... Uh... This is good. This is like live research. Yeah. Where is it? Where is it, actually? I'm curious. Uh, so... Oh, it's in the uh, Hawaii chain of islands. Ah. Okay, you know what? I'm PJ. Kudos. I doff my cap to you. You completely won trivia there. <laughs> I said I said a thing was a, which was objectively not true, <laughs> and you just dazzled me with your facts and figures. Oh, I, um, I had to look that last bit up where it actually uh, lies. Oh, I know, much. I know. But that was just like the cherry on the top of this <laughs> knowledge bomb you dropped on me. Um, but yeah. Uh, but I uh, hate PJ, and again. In that negative space between the panels, where all the real action happens, suddenly, majestically, two giant structures suddenly appear, like out of nowhere, so we, at these two locations. So we see the one in the desert first, and that is basically a huge green dome. Uh, a couple of bit, little extra towers coming off it, another little extra monitor station, it looks like, on the top of it, and a big green garage door. Um, it's got a bit of a Thunderbird 2 yeah. kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Um, and then the one in the ocean is... It, that looks like a Bond villain's lair. Yeah, again, are they evil, the Hyper Clan? We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the Legion of Doom kind of headquarters, basically. So if, if you were... And, and this is just me uh, making stuff up. But if I were to give a different role to each of these locations... It looks to me like the uh, the Antarctic ones on Zor is sort of a science and research station. The big oh, green okay, one, okay. that feels to me like a military structure, more aggressive, defense-based. And then the uh, the one in the ocean is some kind of factory-type setting. Yeah, 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 no, I think that's fair. I mean, I've often wondered whether the HyperClan really needed three major... Uh, bases on the planet, seeing as that they can each orbit the planet in like a few seconds. Um, uh, but again, I guess you needed a convenient reason for people to go fight in different exotic locales. I think there is a justification for it later in the story in issue three or four, but uh, we'll come to that. Mm, indeed, indeed. And I might indeed. be remembering incorrectly. I think I think you're very quickly revealing yourself to be the uh, the attentive one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Never been called uh, that before. Well, again, we're all learning. We're all learning. <laughs> um, but but with the the sudden uh, miraculous appearance of these two uh, kind of vast citadels, uh, there's a nice little uh, uh, nice little comment where uh, the chap, uh, the person, sorry, the reporter in the ocean says, uh, uh, I, "I I saw like a, a blur and like a glimpse of scaffolding, and then suddenly the city just uh, materialized." So. You've got the HyperClan moving at hyperspeed, like moving uh, beyond the capacity for human human sight to keep up with them. And yet they still use scaffolding, which I think is quite cute. <laughs> well, I think even at super speed, you have to obey the laws, don't you? So, Oh, yeah. Say, health little safety. tea breaks, you know. <laughs> but it, it is interesting to me that Zonzor, we clearly see them uncovering in issue one. That was buried in, in the ice in the Antarctic. But they... It seems to imply that they just build these other two uh, in the ocean and the desert and at super speed rather yeah. than them already being there. Kind of makes you wonder why they why they bothered unearthing Zongzor, really. I mean, if you can just make one. 
I guess we're nostalgic about it. They say something about it being an ancestral home, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like maybe they left something there, like their keys. Yeah, they're there. You know, their car keys, yeah. Their car keys. Um, but with the miraculous appearance of those two citadels, we suddenly cut back to Zongzor and um, the uh, assembled press uh, excitedly welcome uh, three members of the Hyper Clan. And PJ, you must be able to name them because they are named on the page. Yes. Well, I know th- these are the ones I-, I remember anyway. Two of them, at least, were Protex and Amortal and Primate there. Now, I love this page for one reason, mainly. And it's the moment where the Hyper Clan appear, these three members, and you get the usual... A-, a lot of comics do this when you have a mass media gathering. You get a lot of random speech bubbles coming out, including questions for them. And one of the questions that the media ask is, are you considering plastic surgery, Amortal? Now, I'd always just assumed that... It was supposed to be presented as that that skull is a mask, part of his costume. But he says no comment. So are we saying that's his actual face? I I, I just find it interesting that if you chose to mind control the population to love you, you also kind of, I guess, like pre-programmed them with like inane questions to kind of ask you or... I don't know, you probably could have like dumped as much information into people straight into people's brains as 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 you wanted, yeah. I guess. Well, because the other one is um you know, in this day and age is a bit oh really, which is it's not even a question, it's the statement for primate, just a smile for the camera's primate. Oh dear. Maybe human race deserves to die. Yes, I think it does. Just maybe. Okay, well, it's been fun recording this series with you, PJ. (laughs) (laughs) Bring it to an end. Now, I'd never really um, thought of the uh, HyperClan as having direct parallels with the JLA. It wasn't like... I mean, obviously, there's a speedster. There's a Superman-like character. But it's not like there's a direct equivalent. There isn't like a Green Lantern copycat there isn't like an aquaman there's not a fish hyperclan member but it's interesting here that while i'd never really thought of it the three who are who arrive at zongzor here are kind of like the anti-trinity yeah superman batman and wonder woman yeah i just i hadn't really struck me until looking at it here you've got the big bright sun god in primate who glows and literally has like kind of like a sun symbol on his chest and then you've got the dark, spooky, grim, dark skull man for Batman, and then we have the, a woman for, for Wonder Woman. Prime Primeade is not the most developed character. No, no, she's not. But it's but the Hyper Clan are they're not really there to be massively fleshed out. Like aside from Protex, they're they're just kind of like, as you said, kind of like nineties villains who who look like villains trying to be heroes. Yeah. So what we then get, of course, is one reporter asking an actual important question, which is, what is the purpose of the structures? And Protex basically just says that they're watchtowers, they're there for them to keep an eye on Earth, and they're going to help turn Earth into a paradise. And the HyperClan is here to stay. You can print that. Again, very media savvy. Yes. I do feel they've had media training on their, apparently, uh, millennia of travelling in space to find a new planet. Yeah, definitely. But from there, we cut to uh, the real heroes. The, 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 real, the, the real reason we're here, you know, to party. And uh, we have Green Lantern and Superman up in orbit. 
and Green Lantern has made with his ring uh, a like a satellite thing, and it is just covered in dishes and scanning devices. Uh, it's a nice little touch. Like he probably could have just held up his ring, and the ring probably could have done it for him. But yeah, he he's made a structure and, to scan. And Hal Jordan would have done that. This is why I love Kyle Rayner. This is why Kyle Rayner is the superior Green Lantern, and we will fight anyone who says differently. <laughs> God, there's too many Green Lanterns. Rain it in. You know, like there's a new one every year, I think. Um, but yeah, so uh, that scene is over before it began because uh, Superman and Green Lantern pop back to uh, the JLA's uh, little bunker where they're currently hiding out. And um, uh, they confirm Batman's suspicion that apparently the massive UFO, the massive Independence Day UFO that appeared over the White House in issue one, wasn't real. It was actually some kind of projection. Ooh, that's intriguing. Batman was all over it. He just kind of had it. Yeah, there is very key, as you suspected, Batman. They did say that, like, the UFO just kind of appeared. Yes, they did. Like, it kind of just came out of nowhere. They didn't even notice it enter orbit. Um... And they also say that while they were able to determine that the the mind-controlling microwaves are coming from orbit, scanning the planet's orbit, they can't find the transmitters anywhere. The the mind-control transmitters, yeah. Yeah, so what does that mean? Um, And I guess, could we point out, like, again, just how 90s Superman looks in this particular page? I think throughout this whole issue, he's very 90s. I just, I feel like, again, he's channeling something just in these two panels. Like, he he, he looks like a, he just looks like a beautiful wrestler. Like, I, I just can't think of a better way of describing it. <laughs> I know what you mean. It, it's the hair, largely. It's the hair. Even, God, God bless even it. Even the spit curl is long. It, like, goes down halfway down his nose. It's... Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, Wow. What a time to be alive! Hey, what a what a time! What a time to be alive! Like to to revisit ninety seven. My God, um, but yeah. So um, the JLA are just kind of like hanging out. Um, Flash is reading like a massive pile of magazines, including Bone Machine and Mutant Love. So um, okay, yeah, and. Also, now this is a thing, and I may be imagining this, and again, haven't done the legwork, haven't done any research. Howard Porter likes to sneak in references in his artwork to, I believe, a fictional character, MC Sluggo. Does that ring any bells? It does not. Because, and I know it pops up in issue four of this arc, but if you look at Flash's magazines... Just cropping off the edge of the page, oh, there's yes. a little pit that says MC, and I know that this is really deep cut. You know, you know. Remember we talked about um, Marvel versus DC, yeah, on a previous uh, episode, and we didn't talk about what came after it, which was the Amalgam Age. Oh, I love Amalgam. I know I love Amalgam so much. Again, PJ, what a time to be alive. <laughs> um, and I always remember that Howard Porter drew the one issue of JLX. Oh my God, he did. Yes, indeed, which which is very very well drawn, I have to say. Uh, And um, uh, which was a a combo of uh, the X-Men and JLA. Yeah. 
And um, I always remembered that. I swear there's an MC Sluggo reference in that. Like, I swear that was like the first time I saw it. I'll have to... I've got the... Um, I sold all my single issues years ago, annoyingly. I have got a couple of the Amalgam... Age of Amalgam trades. So I will need to go and check if I've got the one that has JLX in and, and seek that out. Good God. Like... You just couldn't do it now. No. It, it, it was like, it was such a gloriously stupid idea. Like, let's physically merge our Marvel and DC characters. Like, it was, we, it was too good. It was too good for this world. Like, we didn't deserve it. And then treat and it now, as if they've always been this way. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So good. Dark Claw. Like, oh. let's combine Wolverine and Batman. Like, oh, my life. Super Soldier was great as well. Captain yes. America, Superman and... And it all makes so much sense as well. Like their, their backstories, which is like, oh, too good. We'll have to do a spin-off podcast entirely about the Amalgam. Let's do the Amalgam it. Let's age. do it. Um, but yeah, so sorry. So um, <laughs> we just, as we as we fantasize about a, a, a more a more lovely time in comics, um, uh, it wasn't a good time. <laughs> Things were weird. <laughs> uh, the JLA are trying to um, react to this crisis, basically. Yeah. And Green Lantern, being our kind of audience surrogate, doesn't really know what to do. He basically says, look, we don't know what's going on. All we know is that the Hyper Clan are pretty much all have Superman's powers and they've managed to turn the entire world uh, against the JLA and in favour of the Hyper Clan in just a few days. Yes. There's a nice, there's an interesting thing in the JLA where they seem to all just rotate being in charge. I guess, with the exception of like Green Lantern and Flash. Yeah, I mean, if it, I think the official line is Superman is the chairman, and if, but he's very good at, at delegating and letting other people take charge when they need to. Yes, but it's, it's interesting that like they look to Batman for guidance, and then Batman looks to John for to basically give the instructions, I suppose. Yes, I think Batman, and I think this does come up later in the issue, is is very aware that while people know how clever Batman is, Jean is very much the team player guy because he is the one who's been in every version of the Justice League up to this point that's ever existed. I think it's kind of telling that Jean has never, I, I, to my knowledge at least, I don't think Jean has ever really excelled in a in a solo series i don't think um i don't think people have ever really been hot for a martian manhunter title no really there have been a few attempts one even coming off the back of this jla series that i quite liked um oh interesting but none that ever really stick in my mind um and morrison says he he uses john in this as one of the big seven the other six have their solo books and john is mr jla he is I can't imagine a team without him. I think he is quintessentially JLA. To well, me. it's one of the reasons I intensely disliked the new 52 reboot. Yes. Yeah. No, me me too. I Oh, I mean and and oh, sorry, I could go I could go off on a massive tangent just about what we did to some of the costumes, but oh, yes. yeah, like <laughs> Yeah, it, because they put Jean in in the authority, didn't they? They did. Weird. Yeah, it just doesn't it just doesn't quite work. No. To me, no. He's always got to be the jolly green giant in, he's, he's, in the JLA. He's JLA, and he's a founder member, and I will not have any argument against that. And PJ will fight you if you disagree. Yes, I will lose, but I will fight you. Um, but here, but here, John is. Um, he divvies up. He says, "Well, look, you know, 
we've got we've got to do what we've got to do. We have to divide and conquer. So we're all going to split into teams and we're going to go to the different sites and work out what's going on. And Jean just divides up the teams. So basically, Batman and Superman together. Because you need your world's finest moment. The world's finest. Uh, Green Lantern and Flash. The you know the new the newbies with Jean because they need supervision. Oh sorry yes with Jean with Jean oh yes no you're right you're right he's like uh, keeping an eye on the on the new kids and uh, Wonder Woman on her own because she's the only one that can be trusted <laughs> the only one that can be trusted yeah uh, and it's again lots of just nice little moments like uh, Green Lantern and Flash are kind of like not massively in love with the idea of having to work together and uh, Superman just goes yeah good choices Jean like. You know, we just kind of get it. And I love this last panel on the page. You get the JLA rushing off to their various assignments. It's a powerful, heroic image of of charging into action. And the only dialogue is Martian Manhunter saying, try to take this seriously, Green Lantern. (laughs) I mean, you've got to love, you've got to love a, you know what? You know, I'm just talking about things you miss. I've read this book many, many, many times in my life. I have looked at this panel many, many, many times in my life. I have never noticed that Batman is in it until today. He's very small and in the corner, isn't he? <laughs> He's basically just a shape, like just a, a, a bat shape hiding. Well, I think what this is, because he, he could well have his back to us. And I think the reason <laughs> for that is the others have super speed or flight powers. And Batman's like, I got to go get my plane. So I'm going in a different direction. Yeah, I, 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 I just... <laughs> God, God, just God bless all of us. But, but God bless, like... Those hero panels, we talked about it a bit yeah. on the last page of issue one, but just just those beautiful panels where you're like, and now everyone is in the panel and they're looking cool. Like, there's no purpose other than to just kind of show off and look good, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, so of course, uh, in classic divide and conquer uh, tactics, uh, we now follow our first uh, kind of story beat, which is... Wonder Woman traveling to the Pacific. And this comic does something that I absolutely love that I don't think comics really do enough anymore, which is where you get each uh, each segment, each each group's moment, and it introduces that character with their own logo. So Wonder Woman here with the Wonder Woman, the font from the front of her own comic, just there oh. in the top right corner. I love it. I love that. It is nice, and it's almost like, in case you've forgotten, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, this isn't just strong flying woman. This is definitely Wonder Woman. Um, it's interesting actually because I, I guess I know we've only had like an issue and a bit so far, but Wonder Woman hasn't really had a lot to say so far. Yeah. Like she was in that space battle, but she was we kind of were in Kyle's head. Yes, during it, so it's nice to get. Um, a little moment with her because I guess balancing any kind of team dynamic in a comic you know it's always a challenge to make sure that everyone gets you know their moment in the sun basically but uh, but here we are inside her head as well like you do and there is a very nice touch where uh, I like I, I like this at least it's very where, um, where she's she's flying and she is flying with the speed of Hermes which I did not immediately know was how her speed is and flight is defined. Like she's not like Captain Marvel, the DC Captain Marvel yeah. or Shazam. Captain Marvel. Like, He's called Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not like she's got oh you know the strength of Hercules and the speed of Hermes. Has she? 
to my to your knowledge um do you know i can't remember i I think there must be something like because made of clay and then zeus imbues her with life and power so presumably he takes that power from what he knows when he makes her i don't really know or well mother made her when he imbues with the power yeah but anyway so she can fly at the speed of hermes which is currently Mac three. <laughs> like that's that's nice, isn't it? Like just you know, hey, someone's took the time to measure her speed at some point. <laughs> and Mac three, that is three times the speed of sound. I I'm gonna take your word on this one, John. I have no idea. I think and I think he said Mac the the Mac ratings are speed of sound. So at Mac one you get a sonic boom. Then it's progressively onwards from there. Okay. He said. Uh, and again, think you know, Wonder Woman. Clearly, you know, it takes her about an hour to travel from Rhode Island to the International Dateline at Mach three. Uh, now, I wonder if Morrison had to do the research about that, seeing as you know what the internet was like in ninety seven. I do not know. He probably uh, had to look in a book. He probably had to go to. A library. And if you're confused about what a library is, listener, that's what your grandparents used to go and, uh, you know, look up cat memes at. Uh, in um, Sorry, sentences, dying. Uh, but to pass the time while she's flying, Wonder Woman is thinking about the Coriolis effect, which causes water in the northern hemisphere to drain in a clockwise direction. Which is convenient because she, as she arrives at the tower, she notices a whirlpool below her, which is spinning counterclockwise. Now, it's a very Morrison touch, but there's also, which is great, and I do love it, but there's also then a part of me going, was she though? Really? <laughs> Maybe, like, the captions are actually her kind of, like, recounting it to someone later, <laughs> and we all kind of embellish, yeah. like, when we're, when we're remembering something, like, oh, yeah, and then this, then what was odd, right, is I was thinking of X, and then Y happened. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it is great and then she's just hit by a blast of water and she's attacked by Fluxus see I remember hey, his name PJ you remembered his name definitely not written on the page is it because he says I'm Fluxus shut up John <laughs> <laughs> um, can we talk about how much fun Howard Porter is having here drawing Fluxus yes it's, this is a beautiful page. This is so good. I love everything about this page. The he pops out of the water. He's he's drenched Wonder Woman, knocked her out of the sky. So she's stood on the um the deck of of this big their watchtower in the ocean, and just the, her first dialogue in the page is fur because she's spitting water out of her mouth, presumably. And then Fluxus is an arrogant ass. Well, I've got to say, like, they, he kind of dropped the pretense pretty quickly. Yes. You, you know, like, maybe he... There's a reason why Protex does the interviews, I think. Like, Protex is good with the cameras. You know, he knows the right thing to say. Fluxus is like the member of the organisation who's just a bit too honest. Like, when... Uh, he's like a backbencher MP who just kind of says <laughs> exactly what he's thinking rather than the party line. Well, what I love, and it's a very... It, uh, this is just one moment that captures Wonder Woman perfectly for me is when he says, I'm Fluxus and she says, I know who you are, you're the shape changer and then she says, I'd like to give you a chance to explain yourself before we have to start fighting. It's giving him a chance. Give, yeah. Even even though they know the Hyperclan are doing this mind control thing, they know they've attacked the satellite, they know they're lying, Wonder Woman is still saying I'm going to give you a chance to be honest with me and we'll see if we can come to some sort of 
let's talk let's just just talk it out and uh yeah because again the jla they're not just super powered thugs you know they're professionals they know what they're doing and fluxus just flow says there is nothing to explain we're going to kill you all of you and then we're going to enslave your lush little world what do you think of that and i love this i love this so much and then wonder woman punches him so hard in the face that only his mask is left behind and uh it's a, it's a, god what a good page and then he just kind of like a skipping stone just goes skimming along the surface of the ocean she gets three bounces that's amazing that is pretty good i've never gotten three bounces Man. and she and you just get this little speech bowl where she goes i think you underestimate us it's a classy moment it's a great oh, it's such a great page so good uh and then, I like... Uh, now, here's a nice thing. So then, Wonder Woman is kind of like braced on the side of the watchtower. And uh, there is a shape in the water. And I like the fact that she knows that even though she has just decked Fluxus really hard in the face, she knows the fight isn't over. She's very savvy. And she knows that he's a shape changer and he's going to come at her in a different form. So she's like, all right, come on, take whatever form you want. I'm ready for you. It's just, just a nice little, nice little touch. And then a big whale appears. And who's that riding it? Um, I don't know. It's... Oh, it's Aquaman. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to look it up. And he and he gets his little logo as well. Even though he didn't have a book at this point. I love it. Ah, I just love it. PJ, again, always learning. Every day's a school day with you. This is fascinating. Um, I guess the question is, like, how new to the world... Was Aquaman's new look at this point? Um, I think a few years. I, th- I want to say that the his hand got chewed off in the early nineties, like nineteen ninety ninety one. I think in a run by Peter David. Mm. Um, so certainly, I think the hook had been around a, a good few years. Uh, the metal vest sleeve thing, I don't know. Um, I think long hair and beard is around the same time as his hand got chewed off, but I, the actual costume, I don't know. It's a, it shouldn't work, but I kind of like it. Oh, for me, this is the definitive Aquaman look. Yeah, it's so... It, it, when you look at the JLA and how, like, you know, they are each so iconic, so clean and simple, like the Flash costume, my God, Superman, Batman. And then you've got Aquaman, who looks like a kind of... Waterworld, uh, kind of Warhammer forty k kind of reject, and he's kind of like the odd one out, and yet it somehow works. It shouldn't. And his whole attitude as well, I love in this book. Like he appears and just what's going on? Wonder Woman tells him, and then says, "Did you not hear the Justice League alarm?" And he just goes, "I heard it. I ignored it." And he's very much playing the arrogant king here like he kind of mellows a lot as the series goes on yes but right now he's basically like look i don't like you people i have no i do not care about the justice league just leave me alone i'm only here because you're meddling in my ocean basically (laughs) but i love the just the back and forth between arthur and diana here is is superb i don't need you here i don't want you here if there's a problem i'll deal with it understand and then she just basically calls him out and says, don't dare. He, he gestures with his hook and she says, don't dare point that thing at me. I've known you too long. And then accuses him of posturing. It's brilliant. And again, again, just 
the easy I, I mean obviously they're arguing but the easy and instant long history between these characters is something i love yes like even if they're not like immediately pally like amazing friends they're like colleagues i, I again just the professional the prof- i mean the lack of professionalism from what from aquaman here <laughs> but wonder woman just basically cutting through his bullshit instantly and going like no cut the crap like we've been working together for like 10 years 20 years or whatever you know it's like in this weird creeping timeline it's probably like 10, it's always like 10 years um and uh, and I also like just how strong she is because she just kind of yes. effortlessly kind of puts his arm down, you know, from kind of like po- point, pointing his trident in her face. But this is something that certainly at this time I think was forgotten a lot. Wonder Woman is physically as strong as Superman. Yeah, yeah, like hella strong. It's uh, yeah, kind of like in one of those terrifying, terrifying levels of strength where you're kind of like you you would just destroy everything by touching it like without without kind of like the immense control and uh skill that these heroes have like you would just like click your fingers and the sound the, the kind of wave of expanding air would just blow out every window on the street <laughs> um but yeah so aquaman is basically like hey 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 now hey i deal with the oceans all right that's my thing you know and I like that they're on first name terms, yes. even when they're falling out. And he basically goes, "Hey, look, the sea is my responsibility, all right, not yours." And she just goes, "Oh, stop posturing! I mean, for crying out loud, the sea is my responsibility. That, what a ridiculous thing to say!" <laughs> um, it's just a nice, as you say, just lovely little dialogue. Just she just cuts through him instantly, and then he starts saying he has a legitimate claim because king of the ocean. And then they're interrupted by old laser eyes. Old laser eyes. Tronix, John. Character. Her name is Tronix. Get it right, God. Bravo, bravo, PJ. Because <laughs> she doesn't actually say, "Hi, PJ. I'm Tronix." That that was an actual speech bubble which they were going to put in, uh, <laughs> just to keep you honest. Um, but she's here and she's crackling with energy. Uh, she's a real kind of cyclopsy kind of deal. And um, I, I definitely didn't turn the page to find her name out. Again, Wonder Woman basically immediately takes charge and just says to Aquaman, I'll deal with Tronics. You do what you can to stop this station transmitting. And Aquaman tries to argue and she just flies off. And so he grudgingly starts following her orders. Yeah, again, a lovely moment. He's just like, no, no, you don't. Fine. And I love this (laughs) moment. You see him dive into the sea, but above him, Tronics is firing energy beams out of her eyes at Wonder Woman, who's just deflecting them with her bracelets. I have... You know, we, you know, we talked about like the different archetypes you can have in a superhero team. Yeah. And how, um, you know, you always have the fast one, the strong one, the shapeshift, you know, like just little things like that. Uh, and how the 90s in particular with this kind of like explosion of characters and teams like Chris Claremont um, is a prime example of this as an X-Men writer, mm-hmm. how he would create hundreds of throw throwaway characters like just for individual issues like a whole team of villains just to be introduced and then discarded like a an issue later and one of those archetypes was just the energy person yes like not not to be confused with the energy construct archetype like green lantern but somebody who can just shoot laser blasts like out of their hands or their eyes or their feet or their or their feet elbows. or their ass or their elbows like i just have 
I have such a weakness for this 90s cheese. Like, I love... I love that archetype. I love a character just bursting with energy. And I love that one effect, which they always have, which is like, you know, the little gradient of color on the blast. Yep. Oh, I just, I love it, PJ. What I also love here, though, is just quite how much energy Tronics is clearly manipulating. It comes out of her eyes, but it sort of surrounds her head and her hands. And it's like she's pulling it in and channeling it. There's almost a, a, it feels like she's merging the powers of, um, to go back to an X-Men reference, Bishop and Cyclops. So she's taking yeah. Bishop's ability to take energy and absorb it from somewhere and then fires it out of her eyes like Cyclops. And it's beautiful. And a nice little touch, uh, as Wonder Woman deflects these blasts over a couple of panels um, with her with her uh, bangles, her wrist bracelet bracelets, uh, um, they are smoking. Yes. You know, it's just a small little touch, like the metal is getting hot because of the blasts. I had not noticed that, but yeah, that second panel after she's deflected it, Let's be honest, it's not high art. No, but, but it, and, and I love it. And actually, looking at it now, you've got the smoke coming off the wafts sort of away, but right just above the uh, the bracelet is a little Kirby crackle. Oh, there it is. <laughs> it's like if you look hard enough, it's on every page, in every <laughs> panel. Um, but we get an awesome picture of Aquaman diving below the surface and talking to some dolphins. Yeah. And he's, bas- he's basically saying, hey, 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 dudes, hey, my fish dudes. Uh, Mammal dudes. N- Need some help. Uh, sorry, yeah, mammal, mammal dudes. Mammal dudes. Uh, I need a bit of help uh, with destabilizing this structure, maybe uh, some ultrasonics or whatever you've got. And the dolphins are like, we're on it. We're on it, big guy. We, we, don't, like, we don't like it either. And uh, yeah, which is nice. So Aquaman starts punching at the structure. And I love that the dolphins have dialogue. The dolphins do have dialogue. It's very nice. And there is a big old whale coming. From underneath Aquaman. And one of the dolphins says, so who brought the whale? Why won't he speak to us? (laughs) I love it. And if you look very closely, and I don't think I'd ever noticed this before, the whale is wearing arm bangles or flipper bangles, uh, much like Fluxus. It also is the same colour as Fluxus, which is not a usual colour for a whale. No, kind of like a a grey-brown kind of colour. Beigey, dull. Beigey, yeah. Uh, and this whale basically just punts Aquaman out of out of the water. Yep. Uh, distracting Wonder Woman for Tronics to blast her in a gloriously weird panel where we see Wonder Woman's skeleton. Yes. While she's being blasted. It's like she's been electrified by Blanka. In- indeed, indeed. And her frankly charred and smoking body with her wrist bangles glowing red hot which again a very nice touch yep uh she collapses um but well, the two of them collapse defeated onto the edge of the platform and then there's some gloating from tronics and fluxus and they say two down fluxus killing that daxamite priest out by the krypton gulf was harder than this and he was a pacifist so, PJ, what can you tell me about Daxamites? Now, as I recall, they are... Originally, they were Kryptonians, but they left Krypton and formed their own world, Daxam, but they have very similar powers to Kryptonians, I believe. Now, I might be misremembering that, but uh, that's that's what my brain has told me. Now, PJ, under what colour sun 
do Daxamites gain their powers? Oh. Ah, you see, now my... I was taking my most recent bit of knowledge from the uh, Supergirl TV show, which I have been watching and enjoying, where it's the same, Yellow Sun. But I'm presuming... I haven't read many comics with the Daxamites in, so I'm presuming they get their powers under a red sun then. You know, they do, PJ. It's weird. And uh, they, they are not affected by kryptonite, but they are affected by an element. What do you suppose it is? I mean, it can't be Daxamite because they are Daxamites. Yes. Uh, think think about opposites. Think about flipping the Superman thing. Something from Earth, then. Yes. Like actual Earth soil? Yeah, there, there is a thing which stops one of Superman's powers from working, which isn't kryptonite. Magic. No, it's lead. Oh, well, that stops his X-ray vision. He can still punch through it. Yeah, uh, but apparently lead... Is toxic to Daxamites. Oh, there we go. Didn't know that. Apparently. I swear that's true. I could be dreaming, and I'm sure one of our listeners will correct us. But yeah, it's a weird opposite kind of thing, where it kind of is and isn't at the same time. But PJ, where do we go now? The desert. And who who's waiting for us? Flash, because he's always waiting. And I love this moment. I do love this panel. You get this huge image, uh, half the page, most of the panel taken up by Flash, Green Lantern just arriving, and Flash has pulled down his big glove that takes up most of his sleeve, almost up to his elbow, just so he can look at his watch that he's wearing underneath it and posture. Now, Flash is... uh, One of the great things about his design is that he's traditionally... Uh, drawn as a leaner superman, uh, superhero, like yeah. he has, uh, you know, more of a runner's physique. Um, in this glorious '90s panel, we can pretty much count the muscles. He's a buff like, flash. Like, like the costume leaves nothing to the imagination. I can pretty much see his veins. Like it is. God bless the nineties. It is astonishing. But that's what I love here. These these costumes are this tight, and yet when he pulls the sleeve back up, you don't see the shape of that watch on his wrist. Yeah, that's because the costume is so tight, it gets kind of pushed into his skin. <laughs> it's a real problem with circulation, I've got to say. But here we have the logos again, the Flash Green Lantern with their book logos. With their respective uh yes, their respective titles. Uh and the Flash is uh impatiently waiting for Green Lantern. He's been kept waiting for three minutes. Uh which apparently is ages for the Flash. And for some reason, there is no sign of Jean. Yeah. Uh Flash says, Where is he? He's usually right behind, and Green Lantern says he lost him over the sea. He loses track of which of which sea it is. You know, I guess when you're dealing with orbital flight, it's a little hard, yeah, hard to keep track of. And he also asks, uh, "Do you think this place has a toilet?" Which is, yay, <laughs> yay. And I mean, and Flash points out that technically, I think the desert is all toilets. I mean, it's all. It's it. certainly a litter tray. Let's be honest. Um. I guess, of course, he could probably just make a cubicle if he wanted. You know, I've never actually noticed Flash's feet are smoking in this panel. Oh, yeah, and in fact, in the very first panel, there are um, dusty footprints the things, behind yeah, him. Again. Yeah. And also, he, he's been waiting there for three minutes and his boots haven't stopped smoking yet. I feel like then maybe it wasn't three minutes. He's been like, oh my god, PJ, this is like character development. Like, we're learning things. Like, P- like Flash was exaggerating. The, the Flash-Green Lantern rivalry. 
It's brilliant. And I do love um, where this relationship goes. Yeah, it's it's again like tying into the idea that maybe this is like Kyle's series in a way, like it's his arc that we follow. Well there's there's some uh, of it in their own books as well. I've got um a Green Lantern trade from around this time as well, where Kyle and Wally, one of their first team ups. Um I think it might have run over both their books. It was one of those one part in Green Lantern, one part in Flash stories. And just the antagonistic relationship, and then they work really well together, and it's just beautiful. And it carries on in JLA, and I love it. Um, one thing they, even though they don't necessarily get on, I like the fact that they, they, they know that they have to work together, and they instantly kind of just start like assessing the situation, and they notice that all the assembled reporters around the Gobi Desert Tower are kind of like worshipping it they're not moving they're just staring at this the the dome the watchtower in the desert and kyle says well you know the mind control emissions are going to be strongest around the transmitters i suppose uh it does raise a question about why it's not affecting green lantern and the flash perhaps uh speed force and powering you know what yeah no you're right makes total sense (laughs) I, i don't know why i ever doubted it um and suddenly there is a dust cloud approaching them from across the desert. And Kyle goes, hey, look, it's the jolly green giant. He's on his way. It's not. No, it's not. Because as this, cl- again, great page. Love the energy here. Um, but as this cloud gets closer and closer and closer, we realize that it's not John. It's Zoom, one of the Hyper Clan, who, again, just Howard Porter's like depiction of speed here. Like, it's so kinetic. Like, it, it, it just... It's so cool. It just looks absolutely amazing. And, and it's brilliant. The way Zoom gets slightly closer in each panel, and then I love this fourth panel, which is clearly just a moment at super speed where Kyle is, like, going, oh, shit, and he's frozen, but you can clearly see Zoom and Flash are both in motion. Flash running around Kyle to intercept Zoom, and oh, it's just so good. And it's nice that there's no dialogue in that panel as well. As you say, like really kind of driving home this idea that this is a like a millisecond yeah. of time or something. It's so cool. Um, now, PJ, in your... This is a complete side note, but in your edition that you're looking at, did something go weird with the colours on this page? Because for some reason, Kyle's skin tone is completely grey. Yes. Now I look and at I, it. And, yeah. Now, I know that's probably like a just a i don't know like a misprint or like the the uh, the coloration didn't come through in the final product or something and but i'm saying so i kind of dig it like it's kind of it's kind of weird I, when i think of this book weirdly enough I, I often think of kyle having gray skin for some reason uh, zoom as well actually if you flip back he doesn't have that gray skin no in issue one and frankly we don't actually see much of the flashes uh flesh the flash flesh on, on this page. <laughs> you shouldn't flash so, flesh, John. No, do not flash flesh, listeners. Um, I do suppose then that maybe something went wrong with the reds or like the, the pinky kind of hues on this colour. It's an odd one. Yeah. But um, yeah, but then suddenly Flash goes, I'll handle this. Which is hit- done as one word in the speech bubble. <laughs> which is I, great. Which, no spaces. I love that as a way of just saying he's talking at super speed. It's just a lovely little subtle way of, of denoting it. And then Flash and Zoom race off towards the horizon, each in like a kind of blur of light. It's a small thing, but I like that Zoom's kind of trail 
is just like like a blue a blue kind of swoosh. Yeah. And the flash is is like a red swoosh, but it has like lightning bolts in it. It's what you would associate with the flash. It's his his energy crackle as he speeds off. And yeah, no, it's it's nice. It's actually, like, if you jet- look between the panels as well, Kyle has barely moved. Just his hair is whoosh as they run past him, and there's energy starting right. to form from his his ring. But the pose, he's he's moved his right hand just a touch, maybe. But oh, you see, yeah, no, that's really yeah, that's interesting because it kind of suggests that from Kyle's perspective, time is almost frozen. Yeah, like this is happening so quickly. Very nice. I again, PJ, clever. I hadn't quite noticed that detail. That's the first time I've noticed it. <laughs> but suddenly, suddenly, Green Lantern is alone, and all that's left are like two trails of like smoke on the floor from where the two the two speedsters have disappeared. And flashes, and Green Lantern's like, "Okay, great. Now, what do I do now?" And then a kind of energy grappling hook rope thing, kind of like wraps around his neck yeah and suddenly we have well perhaps two of the weirder members of the hyper clan we have armek who is the giant mech dude and we have zenturion who is kind of like a low rent captain america because he's got a shield but here he's doing something very weird where a like a grappling hook launching cannon thing is emerging from his elbow to <laughs> grab Green Lantern and strangle him. It does look strange, doesn't it? It's like Zenturian doesn't quite fit into an archetype. Like, I can't quite work out exactly what he's meant to be other than I guess he might be like the weapons guy. Yeah, uh, with the shield yeah. and then... But his his kind costume of... design, which sort of seems to be flowing with energy as well, like it just he's 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 hard to pin down. He is a weird one, but maybe he's like you know that would kind of suck though if you were on a team and like everyone on the team had a very clearly defined role, like the strong guy, the fast guy, the energy guy, and then you were just like, and I'm the other guy, and I'm <laughs> and I'm a little strong, and I have like a sword, and I can maybe fly a bit, like. It would kind of suck to be a generalist, like to just not be good in one particular field. I'm here to make up the numbers. It's hard to make an action figure out of me. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so um, again, um, uh, Zenturing's like, I've got him, Armek, stomp his face to bloody paste. Which is a weird line, but there we go. And Armek's like, forget the face, I'm going for his hands. Now, is this because A, Armek has a weird hand fetish, or B, he's familiar with Green Lanterns and he wants to chop off Kyle's hands so Kyle can't use his ring? It's not, you see, it's a small detail. It does kind of suggest that they maybe have experience of dealing with Green Lanterns. Which, because, so they, w- they would have been travelling in space for a while then, because there haven't been Green Lanterns other than Kyle for a few months now, I think it's safe to say. Ah, yes, and we know they've been travelling for millennia, Well, they've, apparently. they've told us this. They've told us they've been travelling for millennia, so, yeah? I kind of like, it's weird, isn't it? Because I the thing that kind of struck me about the Green Lantern ring, because really, like, JLA was my introduction to Green Lantern 
just because of power or a character, is that it has the potential to be so overpowered. Like, the the idea that you can kind of make anything. Um, and yeah, I do find it interesting that there are ways in the twisted twisted logic of the DC universe where there are so many powerful characters there are ways around it which I find kind of fascinating like the idea that even though a Green Lantern is technically like a really 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 deadly warrior in their own right Zoom probably would have killed him yeah like a second ago like he would have been defenseless against hyperspeed and yeah if you can you know if you can strangle a Green Lantern so he's too busy focusing on not dying and then break his hands hey you've, you've taken out a green lantern it is possible you just need hyperspeed and a grappling hook yeah because if kyle isn't generating any energy he's a very breakable human oh yeah like he's very soft and and squidgy. any any one of the hyper clan could probably just crush his head in their hands <laughs> if they so wished um, but yes, so sorry, a bit of a cliffhanger moment for Kyle, because we cut away to the Martian Manhunter, who seems to be in space, just hovering there. I think they're above the Great Wall of China for some reason. Oh, is that what that's supposed to be? I think that's meant to be the Great Wall of China. Okay. I'm not sure, he said. It might be the Great Wall of China. Um but with those beautiful deep red eyes which have seen which have seen so much pj uh he's talking to protex what <laughs> big big old traitor that he is um and apparently protex is saying that jean requested that they meet in private and protex is saying these sweet honeyed words Basically saying, like, look, hey, hey, man, I get it, right? You know, you've never really been one of the JLA. You know, you're the outsider. You're the alien. You're just like a mascot to them. And you have to pretend to be more human. And it, it's kind of boring, isn't it? Like, you you knew, uh, you knew another world long ago. Like, we're both strangers on Earth. Like, maybe, maybe you should join us. And that's all we get. That's all we get. Just cuts away then. Is Jean Jong's going to betray his 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 teammates? Join join us next week and, for. And here's the thing, when this this book was my first Justice League story that I ever read. I didn't know much about the Martian Manhunter when I first came to this book. So, from my point of view, he could well have betrayed the league. I didn't know. Well, cer well certainly, and also like you know what limited exposure you would have had to the. DC Universe, you probably were not massively familiar with the Martian Manhunter. At all. No, he is like the... He's the wild card. He's the... Yeah, he's the unknown quantity at this point. But I feel like if, if you do know the Martian Manhunter, if you're familiar with his history and, and everything that goes there, that is a clue. Yes. That a whole little page, bit of a clue. Whole page, bit of a clue. So if you're reading along at home... You know, and if you can resist the temptation to read ahead, you know, maybe just um, put a pin in that one. You know, we will return. Because we cut away, he said, to... And let's face it, this world. is this is the show. This is the moment. This is what we all come for. You know, uh, we have the world's finest team of Superman and Batman. Now, PJ, I recognise the Superman font title thing 
Is that also the Batman title? Uh, I believe it is from that time, yeah. I think um, on the books it would have a Bat logo behind it, but I think that's the font they were using for the word Batman on the covers. So, PJ, what 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 um, what feast for the eyes do we have here? Well, it's a big old picture of Superman with a, a weird, has to be said, looking comms device that I guess just sticks in his ear? Yeah, it kind of goes quite high up on his face. Like, given the amount of hair he has, maybe he's got it, like, clipped into his hair. But you can also see the, the bat plane, which is a glorious image of the bat plane there. Um, Howard Porter's take on it uh, with Batman in the cockpit and you can see he also has a little comms device but this one also goes over his eye so he's got a monocle as well it's it it is glorious and it's nice that Batman's first line is basically like hey you know what Superman if you want to go ahead you're more than welcome to you know I can't keep up with you yeah this is great and Superman's like you know what I'd actually rather stay and talk it's just I don't know. It's just nice. It's just such a nice little moment between the two characters. And it's the, they start with uh, commending Jean's tactical mind and the teams he put together, but then I, and then this this is just pure Batman Superman, where Superman says, uh, "You don't like this, do you? You don't like working with uh, with super people." And Batman then goes, "I don't have super speed or invulnerability. I can't risk wearing a bright costume that makes me a target, and I can't afford to trust poorly trained people who do." Present company accepted. And again, again, professional courtesy and respect. Like, Batman... Oh, God, it's, there's so many layers here. Like, again, I, I, I don't want to read too much into it, but it, it's nice that Batman, their mutual respect well, you know just that kind with, of bubbles With through. Superman, he means it as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's just nice that Superman is aware enough to draw attention to Batman's general dislike of fraternising with superheroes. And yet, it's just so nice that Batman makes a point to say that he he's kind of saying that he still respects Superman. Like, he's not saying that he doesn't respect Superman. And he doesn't. he's not saying that he doesn't respect his colleagues. He just has to be kind of, like, careful, yes. I guess. Yeah. I think Morrison nails the Batman Superman relationship in this series the fact that they understand each other better than any other characters who work together in the league Batman and Superman just get each other yeah yeah indeed and and just once again they've been thrown together it's kind of like I can't really imagine them having a picnic together <laughs> or even necessarily going to the pub, say. No. You know, it's like it's like you only meet you, there's certain people you only see at weddings and funerals, you know. And for the and for the Justice League, they really only get together when the world is kind of ending. Yeah. So the world keeps kind of thrusting them together and they only get these brief little moments to catch up. And it's it's just nice that they've got the time for each other. Yeah. And they would kind of like trust each other's lives in each other's hands, I guess. It's it's really nice. But then they're interrupted. And again, you know, the magic that happens between panels, the magic that happens between the turn of a page, Batman goes, hey, there's, there's something on my screens. And Superman, using his supervision, goes, I see it. It's one of them, Primade. There's not much time to prepare. She's 200 miles away. And and then she hits him. So again, between two panels, and like the... She hits him hard. Yeah, like... 
again, takes a lot to stagger Superman. And he is suddenly, like, rocketing down to Earth like a meteorite, basically. This, the, this image where her punch connects with him, it's two fists. So she's basically just flown into him at speed uh, to put her strength in that. But there is also a massive energy crackle there. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's, again, gloriously 90s. Just this, the weight behind it, just this massive explosion. And even when Superman, like, smashes onto the ground beside Zong Zor, just, like, the impact of him hitting is, like, you just, you can tell how heavy he is, just, like, how much weight there is to it. Mm. And she said, and then Amortal, your favourite, is there. <laughs> and uh, she goes... Hey, I think I've scunned him. I'll finish him. You take the other. And a mortal, our grim dark, grim dark spooky man with the skull face, uh, goes after Batman. And uh, Batman whips out no guns, but he's big on missiles. Well, I think he's real. You know, he 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 has weapons on the vehicles, and he knows when to use them, and he knows. That these won't kill the Hyper Clan. These guys are super powerful. But maybe he can. Oh no! Wait, a mortal just caught the missile and threw it back. Again, a fun page. Yes, it really like, is. There's, there's a like the energy here is great. Like even when it, it, it's nice when you get little clues in the artwork, which kind of give you some indication of a character's strength levels. Because Batman fires two kind of ballistic missiles at a mortal. And there's a great panel where Amortal catches one in each hand, but his legs kind of like splay out and his arms are stretched back and he goes like, oof, you know, like he could catch them, which is obviously something which no human could do. But it it, it was like, it'd take a bit of effort. It pulls him you know? back a little bit for a moment. And, and then he just kind of, to- as you say, he just tosses the missiles with a lot of Kirby crackle uh, back towards Batman. And I like the, uh, your weapons are rubbish. Again, a lot of sass. A lot of sass from HyperClan. Um, but yeah, back at the ground, Superman is recovering and he's picking himself up uh, out, of, out of snow. And he goes, uh, invisibility is a nice trick, Primate, but here's a word of advice. Next time, hold your breath. And he kind of punches this slightly translucent shape in the air and Primate collapses to the ground. Which is a great moment, because obviously, yeah, super hearing, he is going to hear you wherever you are. Now, we talked about it briefly, like, in the last issue episode, I think, about whether or not the Hyper Clan were, how much each of them was meant to be an archetype, and how much each of them was meant to represent maybe one of a particular set of powers, if that makes sense. I feel like at this point, when they're fighting the League, they start to forget themselves. They start to just sort of realise, especially when it comes to Superman, I need to pull out some other tricks that I'm not supposed to be using. Yeah. Like, I, I'd never worked out whether... Uh, maybe this is like a small detail, which I'm overthinking, but Primade, clearly Wonder Woman-esque character, yeah. can fly, is incredibly strong, strong enough to, like, punch Superman out, uh, but can also turn invisible. So from, like, a, a blind... You know, when you're going in blind, like as a as a new reader, I was never sure whether we were meant to assume she was her power was invisibility or something, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or whether she was just another strong person. I, I feel like she's meant to be the strong person, 
but she knows she's dealing with Superman here, and it slips a little. Yeah. No, you're right. You, that's probably a very good way of looking at it. She's she's our Wonder Woman archetype. But what's this? She can also go invisible, yep. he said, question mark. Um, but yeah, uh, it doesn't work, and Superman knocks her out. Just in time to look up and see Batman's uh, Batplane crashing to Earth, absolutely surrounded in flames. So, and I love the next panel because you get from on that first panel, you get uh, Protect's first speech bubble intruding, just saying, forget him, Superman. So, this panel, Superman turns to look at Protect, who is holding a glowing green rock. Yeah, and, and it's nice that obviously there's no real mystery as to who's speaking. It's clearly Protect because he has his unique speech bubble. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but you just get his arm protruding into shot. As you say, holding this little uh, this little green gem, it's uh, it's a nice touch. And behind Superman, a big explosion where the bat planes crash landed. Now you know what's really stupid: the amount of times I've read this book, I never noticed that Batman's plane crash lands in this panel. <laughs> it, it yeah, that is the moment it impacts. It is kind of hidden in a corner. It is yes, yeah. It's sort of behind another panel. Yeah. Um, Again, not criticism, because it never mattered to me that you never see Batman's plane crash. No, you know that's what's happening. It's just a nice little detail that uh, if you know to see, like, oh, yeah, that's happened. Yeah, just just an odd little thing, like, oh, there it is in the background. Um, But how's Superman doing, PJ? Oh, not well. Not well. He's, uh, where did you, trails off, where, and then in the next panel, he's basically on his knees in front of Protex, who is holding, let's face it, it's kryptonite. We know it's kryptonite. He's just holding it in front of him, and Superman's done. And uh, as Protex kind of like grinds Superman's face into the ground with his boot, basically says like, "Look, what do you think was going to happen? Like, we're not just a bunch of super criminals for you to round up. Like, we have actually planned this really well. So yeah, we prepared for you. We've got kryptonite. You know, suck it up, basically." And then a moment that. Uh... I think says uh, a lot about many things here. First of all, <laughs> a mortal, shouldn't I check for Batman's body? And Protex says, best not risk the flames. Always mm. check for Batman's body. Just going to yeah, say Yeah, I it. mean, like, that's just... A, and like, now, we can maybe give them a, cut them a bit of slack because they have been in space for millennia of years and, you know, they haven't, like... Uh, they've never encountered a Batman before. <laughs> um, but, yeah, okay, on the one hand... This is just careless. Yeah. Like, this is incredibly careless. Uh, on the other hand, isn't it interesting that they are scared of risking the flames? Yeah. I wonder why that could be. Hmm. These big, mighty supermen who are apparently godlike and indestructible are rather wor- worried about being burnt. I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, if there are any characters who where fire is there. Oh, wait, all the flame-based superheroes were sick as well. Oh, this is, oh yeah. No, oh, I do yeah. remember that, PJ. Mm-hmm. It's all very curious. Um, but yeah, but, you know, in, in classic, uh, let's be honest, villain uh, arrogance, uh, the Hyper Clan go, ah, don't worry about Batman. He'll die in the cold. And um, Protex begins dragging Superman's unconscious body towards uh, Zong Zor. In front of the crowds of people who were already there. And he says, uh, you know what? Um, the people of Earth believe that we are their savior saviors uh, no one's going to stop us uh, and as for your colleagues well batman is dead wonder woman is dead 
The Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, they're all dead. There's only you and us. And that final panel, that final page, PJ. And a whole world on its knees. And we have this lovely panel of Batman's wrecked ship in the foreground. PJ, PJ, sorry, hold, hold, you know, stop the presses. Yes, John. I'm I'm looking at this page now. And for the first time Oh, you're seeing the reflection. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. For the first time ever, I have just noticed that there is a reflection of Batman in the cockpit window of his ship. So, yeah, you get on the, the... The the bat plane takes up the let's say the left half of the page the the wreckage of it and just one small bit on the very left hand side is, is a bit of the the screen the cockpit canopy cracked and yeah very small there it's almost as if Batman isn't in that plane he's stood next to it watching what's happening so the only the only thing that doesn't make sense to me there is Primeade is standing just on the other side of the wrecked ship. She's looking at looking that wing. At ah, I'm just I'm just saying, like, having... It's just blowing my mind, PJ, because having just noticed the reflection of Batman, it kind of suggests to me that Primeade is looking right at him. I, I, I can see that, but I think what they're try, what's trying to be put across here is that this giant wing that comes out of... of is, is directly above Batman, and I think that's supposed to be in between Primeade and Batman so that she can't see him. Well, that would certainly make sense. And also with the, the, the amazing foresight and foreknowledge that you and I have of, of what is about to occur in the next two issues. Because that is the end of JLA issue two. That is issue two. Next, PJ. War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, he said. Um, PJ, how do you feel about it? What uh, are your thoughts? I love it. I absolutely love it. I think the uh, the... The sequences where you get two League members talking for a page or so before the Hyperclan show up, I think says a lot about the characters. The Wonder Woman-Aquaman scene is brilliant. The Flash Green Lantern scene is great. The Superman-Batman scene, I, I think, is brilliant. The the fights between the League and the Hyperclan. Although I always remembered, in my head, there was always more of the Flash Green Lantern fights in this issue, but I guess we have to wait for next time for that. It's, it is interesting, isn't it? Because like we talked about how Issue one is this really perfect setup. Like, so much happens in issue one. Like, it's incredibly densely plotted without feeling crowded, which I think is one of the this great achievements. Like, it right off, right out the gate, here's what we're planning, here's the setup. So, issue two is always going to be, it's always going to be hard to follow up. Like, it's always going to be a, like, where do we go from here? Because it's not going to have that that same structure. So it's very much like a, a linear kind of plot, like nothing is resolved, only more stuff is set up. It's basically a, a sequence of fight scenes. And isn't it weird then? Isn't it weird how in issue two, where you've you've got a great opener, but you've got to keep, get you know keep people hooked. Issue two, as you say, is essentially a series of fight scenes, but they're so creative. Yes, and Morrison works in so many lovely character moments into those fight scenes like so much character building so much relationship building which is all so unnecessary like that's why i love it it's like i think you could have just people probably would have just turned up for a glorified superhero punch fest at this point you know 
like slamming your action figures together. I think it is such a testament to why this series is great. I think it's, it's just how much heart there is. You're not going to get a lot of character development for these people in Justice League, uh, sorry, in JLA itself, because that has to be saved for their own books. You know, you're not going to get a major milestone moment of development for Batman or Superman in JLA because that'll happen in action comics or detective comics. But what you do get are these beautiful character moments between them where it just shows up, showcases their relationships and, and how they work with each other, what they think of each other. Um, I think that is the real strength of, of this book is the interpersonal relationships between the members of the JLA. Oh yeah, entirely. And I, I also, I, I, I was thinking like if you could, if you had time traveled, or if you were there right at the get go in February nineteen ninety seven, and this is on the shelves, like I, I can't imagine anyone who wasn't a full convert at this point. Like the sheer creativity and spirit of this series so far, like two issues in, it is such a strong opening, like. Clearly, it was the right moment, the right time, the right creative team. But I'm so, I'm so jealous of it for like the sheer kind of ballsiness of it. Like just to be so, oh, wow, I, can't, I can't really vocalize it. Just to be so vibrant. Like it, it's, it's just kind of bursting off the page. There's so much energy to it. What we, uh, what we didn't do was talk about the, uh, the front cover, because of course we're both reading this in our, our trade collections, uh, and certainly in mine, the front cover doesn't appear at the front of the issue. It appears right at the back of the book on a page with the other three covers from this story arc. And yes, actually, I'm spinning to that now. Looking at that, you w I would have picked up this book, because issue two, and the tagline is, the world's greatest heroes defeated? <gasps> Question mark? And you just see this massive image of Superman fighting Primate, and to be fair, he doesn't look too defeated there. But you do get two inset boxes, one of Green Lantern with the grappling hook around his neck, looking the worse for wear, and one of Wonder Woman being electrocuted. It is nice, isn't it? Oh yeah, no, I'm looking at it now. For some reason, in, in my cover gallery, at the back of my collected trade, they've reprinted the original artwork for the covers, minus any text or titles. Oh, okay. So uh, it's weird, like on issue two, we've got this weird kind of just big open space at the top where the titles would go. <laughs> um, I, now, PJ, I, I've often had... I, I have a theory about comic storytelling where... And, I'm, and because you're a captive audience, I'm going to inflict it on you now. Excellent. Where I, I've always felt that when you're writing or illustrating or creating a comic, moments in a comic can either be cool or they can be necessary. And I feel there's a Venn diagram where if you can get the two overlapping, that is absolute comic perfection. This is just a little weird little theory that I've always subscribed to and which I, I try to use whenever I'm writing something. Um, because if you have an utterly necessary plot, it is boring as anything, but it is efficient and it drives the plot along. Like... X goes, person A goes to location Y does thing. Very pedestrian, very just by the numbers. If you have a completely cool story, it is entirely splash pages and posing and admittedly awesome moments that don't drive the plot forward at all. And I can think of examples of both where stories have swayed too much one way or too much the other. Yes, And then... The moment 
you get them both right. You're telling a story which is both cool and necessary. It is just perfection. Like it is, it, and I really think that's where we were. Certainly, just at the, at the start of this run. I, like, I would add there is one other comic oh. moment, a third, the funny moment. Is it cool? Is it funny? Or is it necessary? Yeah. Pick pick one. Spin the wheel. And basically. for me, you don't get that many of them in this particular issue, but the moments where the dolphins say, who brought the whale? Or when Flash checks his watch. I'm like, yep, I'm or, down with those. Or when um, Wonder Woman punches Fluxus and he just gets this great big derpy landing into the water. No, I would say that is both a cool and funny moment. It's cool for Wonder ah. Woman. It's funny for Fluxus. Maybe this is like... Maybe it's like uh, it's one of those. Uh, it's like uh, you can get a job done well, quick, or cheaply, but you can only pick two. Yes. <laughs> Maybe it's like you, you've got to, you've got to pick. It can be funny and necessary, or funny and cool. Um, and I, I think it's kind of nice that it. And again, I know at this point we're basically just kissing the ass of this comic, um, but um, it deserves it. It's worked hard, and uh, I I think it's nice that it does have a little bit of a cheeky sense of humour as well but it it they're kind of aware that they're doing these big momentous portentous comics but they're never pretentious he said it's it's a big story but it's fun it is fun and the humor adds to that when it comes it's just it's just brilliant i know and i don't know i feel like while there can be very serious comics and very and very important comics i think kind of Comics should be fun to some extent. I think Definitely. they are entertainment. And I, I, we, you know, I mentioned earlier, like, look, this isn't high art. You know, I think we're very aware of that. Like, I, I'm aware that most of the things I've ever made are basically trash, <laughs> but hopefully entertaining trash. Um, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I really think there's a place in culture and a place in society for well made trash basically like well-made entertaining nonsense i completely agree sometimes you just want to read something that is fun and that's going to distract you for a little while and that you'll you'll put it down at the end and you'll just say i enjoyed that yeah and and that stuff can be well made it's not saying it's not saying like oh just because this is a throwaway story about people in spandex punching each other it can't also have just a bit of heart, a bit of like a bit of spark to it, and yeah, I, I think that's a noble thing. So, I anyone listening at home, please make make trash, make good trash. Like we need more of it. Well, that's it. I you know our own. You said you know you're you're happy making fun books. So I wouldn't say Trolltooth Wars was high art, but I think it's a fun book, and I think we it made is. it well. Yeah, exactly. You know, can't be snobby about these things. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's like. You know, society will always have things which are supposedly not proper art, be it superheroes or yes. elves and goblins. And But it's like, it means a lot to people. And yeah, you can do it well, you know. Do it well and people will make a podcast about you in 20 years' time. You lucky thing. You lucky thing. It has been, well, it has been 23 years since this series came out. I tell you what, I am looking forward to what in another fifteen years or so. The uh, when we have uh, two random guys doing a podcast about Afterlife Inc. Oh yeah, and it'll be it'll be the Afterlife Inc. slash Trolltooth Wars podcast. <laughs> you get a lot of mileage out of the Trolltooth Wars one. It's one book. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but maybe they'll do like a page an episode. Oh my god! I mean, some of those oh pages are beautiful. Oh, indeed, yeah. Oh, and of course, shout out to Gav Mitchell. 
who's who done both books. Yes, indeed. Yeah, uh, he's he's the missing he's the missing leg on our tripod here, PJ. He's and did the did the artwork for the JLA cast, which you're currently listening to. Hi, Gav. Hi, Gav. Love you, man. Talented fellow. Um, so, PJ, have we said everything we need to say about uh, this issue? I think so. Without getting into spoiler territory for issues three and four. Yeah, I I, I mean, this has been a, a delight as ever. Um, and again, we've done three ish, uh, three episodes now. That's like one is a fluke, two is a coincidence, three is a trend. I, I'm very excited for our next episode, though, because I'm, it's not a spoiler, but I will tell you, issue three of this of JLA features one of my all time favorite Batman moments. Oh my god! Yes, actually, I would say in any media ever. Yes, um, if you're not familiar with this moment, like. What are you? What, what, what's wrong with your life? <laughs> Get on it! Oh my god! Oh, something to look forward to. I can't wait. It's gonna be great. Uh, so, PJ, uh, how do we, how do we sign off? What is our what is what is our what is our goodbye here? Uh, keep on trucking. We'll try a different one every week. <laughs> keep keep on trucking. <laughs> <laughs>